0: in psalm 37 i just want to read a few openings uh to you um, and then we'll kind of work our way back up do a little bit of review and then uh, build on some of the things that we've been building on but psalm number 37 and i'll put it up on the screen for you there as well psalm number 37 praise god have you found it yet all right, it's right there if you, if, you, if you don't have a Bible, praise God. Let me try to just real, real quick like, I've been, I've been uh, saying something to this effect uh, in, in different ways now for many weeks. But remember, you were created by God, you were designed by God to put your trust in God. You, you were never meant to call the shots for your own life. And because we were created to put our trust in him, we're going to trust either him or something or someone else. And so we see that the more we try to live our lives independently from God, the more dependent we become on other things. And a lot of people say, no, no, I don't trust in other things. I don't trust in other people. I only trust in myself. Well, the Bible says you're cursed. Cursed is the man who puts his trust in man. And last time I checked, we're all men and women in this building, okay? And that's the trick of the devil. He's trying to get you to put your trust in yourself or to put your trust in other things. But in an effort to try to communicate to you this inward longing, this desire, I even have said it this way a few times: you're hardwired. In other words, how how you're set up, you're designed. Um, to, to look outside of yourself for help and for answers. And I was, I was thinking about this. In the, in the NFL, when, when they determine the draft, and for those of you who don't follow professional sports, the draft is when teams get to pick um, athletes coming out of, out of college uh, you know, for, for their teams. When the NFL, the first team that gets to pick is the team that finished in last place the previous year. So whoever finished last, last year got to pick first this year of all the prospects and all the talent that's coming out of college. Some of you may not know this, but the NBA, the Professional Basketball League, they don't do it that way. Um, they do a lottery. In other words, they put all the, the names of the teams in a basket. And they pick, and whoever is the first, first one picked, they get the first pick. Whoever's the second one picked, they get the second pick, so forth and so on. So this means like a team that picked first last year could theoretically pick first again this year. Okay? Now, when it's time to do that lottery and choose those names, you have either the owners of those professional NBA teams who show up or a general manager, some representative of that, of that organization, to be present when the names are drawn. Why am I telling you all this? I'm telling you all this because the overwhelming majority of those very wealthy, very educated uh, men who show up on that day for the lottery have some type of superstition that they participate in. They have some type of good luck charm. They have some type, you know, their lucky socks, um, you know, uh, some tie, what have you. Uh, that they participate in. Now, again, these are grown, adult, highly educated, highly successful men who feel compelled to participate in some form of superstition in hopes that it will mean their team is either their team is either drew out of the hat first, or, or drawn out of the hat first, or drawn out of the hat somewhere near the top. Okay. Now, before we judge those men for doing that. I want you to just consider for a moment how, uh maybe hopefully no longer, but but maybe at least in the past, how much stock we put in different kinds of superstition. Um I'll never forget the first time that I was at, at uh worked at Chick-fil-A there in Western Hills. Not a Chick-fil-A in Western Hills Mall any longer, but that's where I started with Chick-fil-A in Western Hills. And um of course I was a go-getter, man. You know, my, my mom and dad taught me, you know, if you're if you're not 15 minutes early, you're late, you know, and, um, and if they're going to get rid of everybody, make sure you're the last person they get rid of because you're the hardest worker there and so forth and so on. So I was like, you know, in, there's a saying in the restaurant business, um, if you've got time to lean, you've got time to clean. Anybody ever heard that, right? <laughs> if you've got time to lean, you've got time to clean. So I'm just, you know, I'm sitting here sweeping, 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 and, of course, I work with a lot of just precious African-American uh, young ladies and when I come through there with that broom, they started scattering and screaming and hollering. And I, I didn't, I'm like, what in the world? They said, do you not know if you sweep our feet, we'll never get married? And I said, I said, I, no, I didn't know that, obviously. Um, I, I didn't know that. Um, again, some of these superstitions are very funny. Um, but black cats and walking under ladders and broken mirrors and all these other things Why why is that even a thing at all amongst people? It's because we're all looking for something outside of ourselves, bigger than ourselves, to take advantage of. Something that that we can, through some superstition, through some ritual, I don't know how long it's been since you've read through the Old Testament, and, and how many times God's people went back to idol worship. How many times you know uh, a finally a godly king would come along and he would go through and clean house and tear down all those uh you know high places where they would go and sacrifice to these foreign gods and 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 say you know we're going to worship God and God alone and 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 they would do that and and God would bless them and prosper them and honor them and yet it was you know then another king would come along and 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 he would sacrifice to those other foreign gods and 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 idols and, and this and this sort of thing and you, and you keep looking at that and you're going why in the world did the people keep doing that why it just it, you know it's so easy to look at that and, and say you know this doesn't make sense to me but it's born from something on the inside of them again to trust in a and i'm going to use some a a a terminology here to trust in a higher power you know it's, it's something outside of you that's bigger than you that, that you can somehow help or you can appease or you can do something on your part to, to earn favor and, and, and curry help and blessing uh, from this force, this higher power, this idol, this whatever. And and we see this throughout the history of mankind. And it's again, it, it's easy to look back in the Old Testament and say, well, those people are uneducated. Those people, you know, they don't understand. But, but, but let's go back to the NBA draft. <laughs> And, and those guys coming in there with their good luck charms and, and their lucky ties and their lucky socks and, and uh, can't shave till after you know, not going to shave their face until after the lot. All these th- things that they do in hopes that they can somehow affect the outcome of something that is beyond their control. Are you with me? They're trying to affect the outcome of something that is beyond their control. All of this is rooted back in, yeah, I hope I'm not boring you this morning. I'm just trying to help you see one more time. All of this is rooted in this truth, this reality, that we were created by God not to be dependent upon ourselves, but to be dependent upon Him. We were created to, to live our lives not trusting in ourselves, but trusting, absolutely trusting in something bigger than us, someone bigger than us, the God who created us. We were never meant to live our lives separate from Him or independently of Him. Now, let's go to Psalm 37. Psalm 37, verse 3, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. Bring what to pass? Well, obviously this is like a blanket statement. There, there is some context here, but the context, of course, is your righteousness, your justice, you know, bringing to pass uh, the fruit and benefit of being a son or a daughter of God in your life. Notice who's going to bring it to pass? He's, he's going to bring it to pass. Notice, again, we're talking about Our Creator, our Heavenly Father, affecting an outcome in our lives that we do not have the ability or the control over. He's he's talking about Him bringing to pass things that we can't bring to pass. Him doing for us things we can't do for ourselves. Him, let's, let's say it another way, Him making things happen in our lives that we can't make happen on our own or without His help or without putting our trust in Him. So notice the instructions are, Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. You would be hard-pressed to find somebody who who is not interested in God bringing things to pass in their lives. But notice the prerequisites are committing your way to the Lord, trusting in Him, and, excuse me, and Him bringing it to pass. Now, let's look at another passage, uh, Proverbs 16 and 3. Proverbs 16 and 3, again, is talking about this idea of commitment. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Established. Now, open with me, please, if you will, to the New Testament. And this is in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Now, we've looked at this passage, I guess, the last two Sundays. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 12. Amen. I'll give you a moment to turn there. Praise God. Amen. It says this For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. So we know that the Apostle Paul suffered some hardship. He suffered some some difficulty. And there were people who judged him and accused him just like they judged and accused Job. Of of bringing it upon himself, or, or, or saying that God had forsaken him, or saying that 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 Paul, you know, they would use the things that. Remember, not everyone agreed with with the Pauline doctrine. Amen. What what we know of today is the doctrine of salvation. Um, in in Paul's day, all of this was new. There were so many. A people whose, you know, thoughts and 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 approach to serving God was rooted in the old covenant, the law, Judaism, circumcision, all these other things, and so there are a lot of people who did not agree, and, and and to the point that they would, you know, they made it their mission to make life hard uh, for the Apostle Paul. We even we even see how about this one: people who did not believe in the gospel would preach the gospel just to cause the Apostle Paul problems in in, in places that he was either headed to or had been to and and these kinds of things. And and so they would look at the hardship and the difficulties that Paul was experiencing and they would point to those things to say, um, we told you that what he's saying isn't true, look at what he's going through, look at what he's dealing with, look at the hardship that he's facing. If he was really a man of God, if he was really preaching God's truth, he wouldn't be experiencing some of these difficulties and challenges that he was experiencing. And so Paul says, nevertheless, he's not denying that he he dealt with some hard things, but he says, I'm not ashamed, I'm not put to shame, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Now, this word know, once again, it means to see with perception to know as if I see, to know as if I see. We're talking about a, a, a level of confidence. We're talking about a level of, of certainty here. Remember, Moses was able to accomplish everything that he accomplished uh, uh, for God on this earth as if Hebrews eleven twenty seven says it was as if he could see him who is invisible. Now, I know there's a lot of people who talk about, you know, blind faith and, 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 the, and these kinds of things. My friend, true faith is not blind. True faith sees inwardly what cannot be seen with the physical eyes. True faith is, is seeing something in your heart and it, and it becoming more real to you inwardly than the world you can see and the circumstances you're dealing with outwardly. You see, that's one of the secrets to, 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 to Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus did everything on this earth that he did on this earth as a man in right standing with God, full of the Holy Spirit. But here is, I think, again, something that needs to be mentioned is that Jesus was just aware, just as aware, if not more aware, of the world he came from than the world he found himself living in. He was more aware of, of the heaven that, that, that no one could see as he was aware of the world and the circumstances and situations that he could see. That was, that's that inward knowing, that inward seeing that we're talking about. And so we've said that that inward knowing is the fruit or the product of trusting God. The fruit of trusting God is an inward knowing. And we've said that bold confidence comes from proven trust. Proven trust. I want you to remember that word proven there. Proven trust. So the stronger our trust in God, the greater our boldness. But weak trust in God will always lead to weak prayers, reluctant giving, timid confessions, and fearful living. Placing your trust in God will lead you through experiences that will open doors of knowing and seeing in your heart, doors that cannot be opened any other way. Now I want us to kind of camp here for just a brief second. I know that we've talked about this already, but this is a really, really important part of, of our study here. As a matter of fact, this is kind of, um, you know, it's, it's like we all get on the, on the wagon together and and we, and we come to a certain point, but now we're kind of at this, at this place, um, where some folks are going to, you know, keep going this way and other folks are going to kind of peel off. Amen. (laughs) In other words, this is where some folks are going to drop out of this whole idea of learning to trust in God. Amen. There's something in us. Again, I'm, I'm convinced of this, If if you're not convinced of it, at least for your own self, I want you to just take it before the Lord, but I believe there's a longing in every one of us to trust God. We were created to trust God. We were never meant to live our lives without trusting God. There's something in us that wants to trust Him, and that's why, again, these misguided, uh, misplaced efforts of of trusting in superstitions and all these other things, why is that even a thing, again, among us? It's because ultimately we were created to trust God. And so we want to trust Him, We want to know about trusting him. We want to learn about trusting him. But remember what we said. The only way you will ever learn to trust him is actually by trusting him. You'll never learn to trust him unless you actually do. Have you ever wondered if you could trust somebody? You'll never know unless you trust them. You'll never know unless you trust them. So notice what he's saying here. Notice, when I say he's saying, I know this isn't necessarily a Bible verse, although it's rooted in a lot of Bible verses, but I believe the Holy Spirit gave me this to give to you. Placing your trust in God will lead you through experiences. When we when we talk about our lives, when we talk about the way we see ourselves, when we talk about you know the the, the perceptions that we have, and 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 the understanding and the mindsets and the attitudes that we have. The thing that I want to bring to your attention this morning, the thing that I believe the Holy Spirit is wanting to bring to your attention this morning, is that all of those mindsets, attitudes, points of views, all this stuff by which we live our lives on a daily basis, those things have been deeply formed within us over the course of our lifetimes, and more than anything else, they've been formed in us by the things we've experienced By the things we've experienced. Praise God. Now, a lot of times when we talk about these things, then, you know, the counselor in me wants to start talking about traumatic experiences. And certainly traumatic experiences have an impact on our lives, on, on, you know, how we respond to things and, you know, so forth and so on. And I'm not trying to discount those like major life traumatic experiences, but there's another experience that maybe we don't even think of, we don't even recall. And it's, it's the thousand little things that have accumulated over time that we've experienced in our lives that have formed within us our self-image that have formed within us important things like how we manage money and, and how we deal with confrontation and, and, and how we handle conflict. And, and I could just go on and on and on. How we respond when things get hard is a, is a, is a classic example. And if the Lord you know, has been really dealing with us about you know, how we respond to things... We don't have control over what other people say and do. We don't have control over, um, you know, some laboratory that releases a a, a plague and a pandemic on the world. But we do have control over how we respond to these things. Remember, every trick, every tactic that the enemy, I know I've gone way back in reviewing here, but I'm feeling compelled to do this. Listen to me, please. we're, We're talking about, you know, how we respond. And how we respond to things is the difference between life and death. And so the devil has been trying your whole life to form within you a mindset and an attitude that will, that will always have you responding in a wrong way to things. Placing your trust in God will lead you through experiences that will open doors of knowing and seeing in your heart, doors that cannot be opened any other way. This is not just true of positive experiences. It's also true of negative experiences. There are doors of seeing and knowing that we've opened in our lives by doing things in the flesh that we, that we should have never done. But the experience of that thing has opened a door of knowing and seeing in us now that is, uh, presents challenges, temptations, what have you, um, for us. Now, let me get on beyond this. Trusting in God moves the promises of God from theories in your head to proven foundations in your heart. You see, too much of what we know about the things of God we know only in theory, but then you couple that with so much of what we know about the world we know from experience. Now, I want to go back to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Amen. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know, I know, What is he he saying here? As if I can see with my eyes, I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Now, we we turn to three different passages. um, Psalm 37, Proverbs 16, and now 2 Timothy chapter 1. And there is a word that we find in all three of these verses. And that's the word commit. That's the word commit. 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 Paul said, I know and I know I have believed and persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed. What I have committed. What I have committed. There is a very important connection that we all need to understand between learning to trust God and committing ourselves to Him. Trust and commitment are so closely connected to one another that they can almost be used interchangeably with one another. They don't exactly mean the same thing. One definition of commit is to make a deposit of trust. And that's what Paul is saying here, that he has made a deposit of trust. He has committed certain things to God... Things that he has committed into God's trust. So why do so many people want to trust God and so few people actually do? That's a that's a that's a strong statement there, and I'm I don't I'm not trying to be harsh this morning. Why do so many people want to trust God? And why do so few actually do? I believe this morning, and I'm asking you to hear me out and take this before the Lord for yourself, but I believe this morning that commitment is the missing link to trusting God. Commitment is the missing link to trusting God. Now, I don't... Let me let me just explain this statement. Commitment pulls the trigger of trust. Commitment pulls the trigger of trust. What do we mean by that? Well, let's say that you've been thinking about doing something in your life, some project around your house. Um, you you've you've looked at it. You've um, I've got a I've always got a project list around my house. of stuff that I want to do, I like to do those kinds of projects. I get a lot of joy out of that. It's, it's a, it's not work for me. It's it's, uh, I get I get a lot of relaxation benefits out of uh, working with my hands and you know just something about that. I get immersed in that, and it's it, the Lord really speaks to me during those times. And so, you know, I've always got a list of, of projects and, and things that um, uh, that I want to tackle at some point, you know, and so I'll make notes and take measurements and find estimates, like I was really interested in, in building a deck uh, this past summer I had made some measurements and some plans and all other stuff, but if you, under, if you know what happened to the cost of lumber um, this year um, it was literally going to cost almost four times um, what it would have normally cost, and I said, you know what, we'll just either not do that at all or do it some other time right um, so you go through the whole planning, contemplation stage of things, but then there comes a time to commit, right? Then there, then there comes a time where you dig the hole. Or we could say it this way, it's when you pull the trigger. That, that's when you order the lumber package. That's, that's when you put the for sale sign in the front yard. That's when you, are you, you follow what I'm saying? You, you may think about it for weeks, months, in some cases years, but then there comes that point where you pull the trigger, where, where you actually take that next step, and you do what? You commit yourself. So commitment is what pulls the trigger of trust. You cannot trust God without committing yourself to Him and to His ways of doing things remember when i told you that that one of the one of the things the lord's really shined i think a a bright light on and we've already mentioned it once briefly here this morning is that so many of his people are trying to to learn how to trust him without actually trusting him and so we deceive ourselves by learning about trusting him but never actually pulling the trigger and taking that step of faith and putting any trust in him and you'll never learn to trust him apart from actually trusting him so Notice the connection here between making the commitment. You cannot trust God without committing yourself to Him and committing yourself to His ways of doing things. In other words, at some point, you have to draw that line in the sand and you have to make that commitment. And if we're reluctant to make the commitment, we will never pull the trigger of trust. In other words, we will will never step over into actually putting trust in God, which means we will never learn to trust Him. So this word commit that we find both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's interesting to me. And and even if we take it from the the Hebrew and the Greek and we move it over into English definitions, we see that there is a dual meaning that's carried with this word commit. The word commit carries a dual meaning that must be understood. So let let me put the dual meaning up here for you and try to make this as simple as I can. Commit means this. It means to entrust to the care of another to entrust to the care of another. So when Paul says that he believes that God is able, persuaded that God is able to keep that which he has committed to him against that day, he's certainly talking about this this, um, one idea or this one meaning, I guess would be a better way of saying it, that's communicated by this word trust. It means to entrust to the care of another. But this word commit also carries with it another meaning, and I'm offering you that these are not two separate meanings, but they're actually related meanings or an underst- a, 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 a more perfect understanding of what it actually means to commit, to entrust to the care of, an, of another. But when we're talking about committing something to God, then we see that the word commit also means to fully dedicate, obligate, or devote oneself to a course of action. To fully dedicate... To the point of being obligated, devoted, um, oneself, devote oneself to a course of action. All right, now I know I'm going fast. I'm trying to get to a certain point. Far too many of God's people want him to keep what they have not committed to him let let me let me give you an example of this okay people in this in this country we want god to protect us we want god to prosper us um, beyond that even i think you know when we look at the scriptures you know not only does god protect and 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 prosper, provide for us, prosper us as a people, as a nation, as individuals, as families. Um, we we also want Him to to promote us so we have that that place in the world, place of influence, um, in in the world. Okay, so like if if you were to even ask somebody who doesn't believe in God, you know. Their superstition would at least say, "Yeah, sure, whatever." I mean, if if God can provide for us, if there is a God, then sure, let's let's have let's have His help. Okay. So we want His protection, we want His provision. While at the same time, we've said we don't want you in our government, we don't want you in our school, we don't want you in our um, in our in our curriculum in our schools, we don't want you. Uh, in, in our families for the most part. Um, so on on one side, we've said we want God to keep for us, protect, preserve, provide, prosper, promote, but we have not wanted to make any kind of commitment to him. Do you, do you see what I'm talking about here? Okay. Now, if this sounds like I'm trying to guilt or shame, or that's not, I'm, I'm just, I'm wanting you to see the principle here, there is, a, there is a biblical principle of truth here that relates to the way God created you and me to live and function that's extremely important for us to understand. Think about why we are reluctant to commit ourselves to anything. I believe we're reluctant to commit for the same reason we're reluctant to trust. We're afraid of what will happen if we do. So we're reluctant to commit. I believe we're also reluctant to commit because commitments limit our options and restrict our freedom. I started going to church nine months before I was born. Okay, and I'm 54 years old now. All right, been in church a long time. And what I am noticing amongst the people of God is a greater reluctance to commit than at any point in my history amongst God's people. Things that the Lord would have for us to do things that he would have for us to participate in, various ministries, areas of service, areas of of, of helping out and becoming involved that require a commitment. But if we make that commitment, then we've obligated ourselves. And if we commit ourselves, we then limit our options and we restrict our freedoms. And so... We'll just kind of stay on the outside looking in. We'll kind of stay on the fringes if it's convenient, if we don't have anything else going, if if we can um, you know, work it into our busy schedules, then we'll be more than happy to be there. We'll be more than happy to participate. We'll be more than happy to contribute. We'll be more than happy to get involved, but we don't want to make a commitment because that commitment is going to do what? It's going to limit our options and it's going to restrict our freedoms. I wasn't expecting any amens, but that's okay. I'm just trying to show you something that's really, really important. Okay. Maybe I should have expected some and I might have got one or two, but that's all right. <clears throat> You see, we're wanting to learn and know and understand the deeper things of God without committing ourselves to doing the deeper things of God. We're wanting the benefits. I, I was—you talk about like experiences and things that that um, that stick in your in your heart and mind. This is this is one that. Um, that, that really sticks in my heart and mind. It, it, and it goes back to when I, I don't know how old I was. We, we had a pastor, and, um, and I don't forget mom and dad. Of course, they, you know, they, they had gift of discernment, all that stuff. But, you know, we're going home. They said, man, I don't think he's going to, I think he's getting ready to leave. I think he's getting ready to resign. And I'm like, what, really? And they said, yeah, we've noticed that when they start fussing instead of preaching, Right, and sure enough, two or three weeks later, he stood in the pulpit and fussed at us, and then resigned. You know, I, don't, I think it was my dad. It sounds more like something my dad would say than my mom said, but I remember distinctly sitting in the back back seat about how just there's something about a fussing preacher. You know, so nobody wants to hear a fussing preacher. And in those days, I knew that my destiny was to be a preacher, and I made this mental note in my head all that many years ago. When you preach, don't be a fussing preacher. Right? So I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to fuss at you. I feel like I'm that guy on the wall this morning, though. I'm not a doomsdayer. Listen to me. I am not a doomsdayer. But Jesus himself told us. Do you remember we preached a whole series of sermons when all this COVID stuff started? Jesus said it's birth pangs. And that they must come, they must happen. It must be. If Jesus said it must be, then it's going to happen. If Jesus said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. I'm just telling you. And he said it's the beginning of birth pangs. And what do we know about birth pangs? We know that birth pangs grow in their frequency and their intensity the closer a mother gets to giving birth. So all of the things that Jesus said that we would see as as the end draws to you know draws near and and, and life as we know it on this earth is coming to an, a close, of course we know there's you know the new heavens the new new earth all that's happening after this. He said that you'll see all these things. Well, there's always been wars. There's always been natural disasters. There's always been pandemics. There's always been you know th- th- these things that th- that have happened but here's here is the key to that jesus says that it's it's the beginning of the birth pangs so this whole covid thing is a birth pain. and if you understand what jesus was saying is that this is not the worst one that's coming this is not this is the beginning there it, I'm not telling you this to scare you. But I'm telling you that we have got to learn how to trust God. We, I, I have, I'm telling you the urgency in me for this. I, I am here to serve you. I'm not here to fuss at you. I'm not here. There is a reason why Satan is working overtime to keep God's people from committing themselves to the work of the Lord, committing themselves to even coming to church, working overtime to, to try and, 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 and make us so reluctant to commit. It's because if you never learn to commit, you'll never learn to trust. Commitment what is what pulls the trigger for trust. See people say, "Well, I tried this." Listen, you don't try the things of God. You commit yourself to it and 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 no other Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's like I'm doing this and it's like it, yeah, praise God. No. Let me go back to it. Trusting God will lead you through experiences. Trusting God will lead you through experiences. But you'll never, you'll never experience the things that you need to experience with God that will open doors of knowing and understanding in your heart unless you're willing to commit something to God. Psalm 37. Amen. Psalm 37. Let's go there real quick. like Amen. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He shall bring it to pass. Bring it to pass. Notice what he's saying here. Trust in the Lord and do good. So he's saying trust and do. Trust and do. Trust is more than a a mental position. Trust is more than just uh, some idea that we have in our minds. He's saying, put your trust in me and then make doing good a priority in your life because the difference is in the doing because the doing is how he leads us into the experiences. That's why he says, taste and see that I am good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. This word dwell carries with it the idea of the the New Testament word Jesus used, abide. As a matter of fact, in some translations of abide in me and my words abide in you, we see it translated, dwell in me and my words dwell in you. Here he's saying dwell in um, the land. This this speaks of time and tenure. This this word abide speaks of, of, of staying put. He's talking about not being easily moved or swayed by the things of this world. Again, this you'll never do this unless you make the commitment. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And, and no matter how things look, seem, or feel, this is, this is God's way. We understand His way. We're committing ourselves to His way. And, and, and this, is, this is the path that we're taking. This... Expression, feed on his faithfulness. The word feed means to develop associations with, to become familiar with. Pam and I were in a uh, an antique store in Franklin, Tennessee, and there was an old metal lunchbox sitting up on a shelf, much like the one that I carried when I was uh, in North Highland Elementary School when I was a kid. And I was, I just, I don't know, just, it just caught my eye. I reached up there and I, and I took that metal lunchbox off the shelf. It was kind of dinged up. I looked at it for a minute. I set it down on the table and, and I unlatched it. And, and those sound, that the unlatching of, of those, uh, it's a distinct sound. It's a sound that my brain has associated with North Highland Elementary School. I then opened that metal lunchbox. It's, I can't quite put into words the smell. It's, it's somewhere between peanut butter and banana sandwich and rust. You know what I'm talking about? Amen. I, the sound of that. Then when I opened that. And the smell of that, I'm immediately crying for my mother in second grade at North Highland Elementary School. Are you hearing me? It's, it was, it's, a, it's a powerful association. You see, there's all kinds of things that, that we have developed these associations with. These associations produce within us something called an automatic response. See, we're back to the response. An association leads to an automatic response. When God says, I want you to remain in the land, I want you to get somewhere, put down some roots, and and stay put. I want you to, to build some time and some tenure and I want you to have some experiences there. As a matter of fact, he says, I want you to begin to feed on my faithfulness. What is he saying? He's saying, I want you to develop some associations with me being faithful to you. I want you to become familiar with me helping you. This word paints the picture literally of developing a friendship to the point of companionship. So when God says, To us feed on his faithfulness, he means for us to become familiar with his faithfulness and his trustworthiness. Developing a relationship involves sharing these common experiences. Father God wants you to become a companion. Are you hearing me? He wants you to become a companion of his faithfulness. Now, again, when I, when I think about like how you develop a friendship, you go from not knowing someone to being introduced to them. But if you're ever going to develop any kind of relationship or friendship with that person, it's going to require you spending some time with that person. It's going to require you experiencing some things together with that person. You know, all these, what, 36 years now, Pam and I have been married 34, we dated two years 36 years of things that I've experienced together with her. Are you following me? There's a commitment there, right, that we make to one another. So what God is saying to us is, he's like, look, I'm wanting you to, to make some new associations. Go back to when he brought them out of Egypt, brought them out of slavery in Egypt, Every time things would get a little difficult, what'd they want to do? They wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to go back to what was familiar. They wanted to go back to what they had made associations with. The word delight means to find pleasure in. And this also takes time. We have found pleasure in other things and in other ways. But Jesus told us this in Luke 12 and 34. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, the Lord spoke something to my heart one day because I knew that this was such an important verse. Why is it important? It's important for a lot of reasons. But number one, Father God wants your heart to be in what you do for him. Are you hearing me? If, if you're going to give, he wants your heart to be in it. If you're going to tithe, he wants your heart to be in it. If you're going to serve, he wants you to serve because your heart's in it. If you're going to commit yourself to doing something for God, he wants you to do it because your heart's in it, not because some preachers fussed at you and made you feel guilty or shamed you into doing it. He wants your heart to be in it. And so here is such an important key... Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying that your heart will always be connected to the things that you value. Your heart will always be connected to the things that you treasure. He asked me a question one day. He says, who decides what you treasure? Who decides what you place a value on? Who decides what you make a priority in your life? My friend, I decide that for myself and you decide that for yourself. You decide what's important for you. You decide what's of value to you. You decide what you treasure. And notice the key here. He says where your treasure is, what you decide to treasure, your heart is going to be connected to the thing that you treasure, to the thing that you value. Somebody says, you know, my heart's not just in that, Pastor Mark. You haven't treasured it yet. You haven't committed yourself to it. Are you following what I'm saying? Notice, when you make a commitment to these things, when you decide, man, this is God's way, and I'm committing myself to it, and I'm going to do it the way he said do it, because he's always right and he's never been wrong, and this this is the priority that I'm establishing in my life, now, see, all of a sudden, what your heart previously wasn't connected to, your heart becomes joined to. All right, stand with me, praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> I skipped over something that I'm feeling compelled to go back to, so Remember, let's 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 close here, okay? Commit is to entrust to the care of another, but it's also to fully dedicate, obligate, or devote oneself to a course of action. If I was to ask you if you would like for God to prosper you financially, I don't know of anybody in their right mind that would say no. Okay? And and this is an area that creates a lot of anxiety and worry in people's hearts and minds. They stress over finances. They, they stress over over money. They're worried if they're going to have enough, and are they going to be able to pay their bills, they are going to be able to you know, provide for their children, and Christmas is just around the corner, and what, how, how are we going to do that, and, 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 and these kinds of things. In other words, this, this, I'm not saying it's number one, but it's one of the top, if not the number one, Stressor, causes of causes of anxiety, in 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 people's lives. Well, again, father didn't. That's not father's plan, desire for you to be stressed out all the time about money. Now, compare though trying in your mind because we're talking about trusting God. It's like, okay, man, I got to trust God. I got to trust God. I got to worry about this. I got to trust God. I, you know, I just got to know God's going to take care of me. I got to trust God. I got to trust God. Okay. Well, Amen. Have you committed yourself Have you committed your finances to the Lord? Notice committing is not just saying i 'm trusting you with my finances there 's a dual meaning here to truly commit your financial life and future to God means to fully dedicate, obligate, or devote yourself to his way of doing finances do you see the 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 commitment there it's not just committing it's like okay i'm going to commit i'm going to commit no i'm going to commit i'm going to commit my ways to the lord and my thoughts are going to be established i'm going to commit what i do to the lord i'm going to fully dedicate obligate and devote myself to doing it god's way See, that's going to then lead you into the experience, okay? That's going to open the door of seeing and knowing that cannot be opened any other way. Amen. Father, thank you for this time together, this morning. Thank you for these beautiful people. Father, thank you for helping us by your Holy Spirit connect with these truths, Lord, that that we would each and every one of us in this moment, Lord, examine you know, what have we really, according to the biblical definition, what have we really committed to you? what, what have we trusted into your care and what have we fully de- de- dedicated and devoted and obligated even ourselves, Father, um, to, to, to do in your way uh, to, to, to your course of action uh, for our marriages? Um, Father, your course of action for raising our children, your course of action for managing our money, your course of action, Father, uh, you know, pertaining to uh, our our service and 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 what it is that you've called us to do and fulfilling our purpose, Lord, all, all of these things, um, Lord, I thank you that you're speaking to us today, and, and Lord, that we're we're listening to you, um, Father, we we. We're never meant to live in this world afraid, Um, but, Lord, to to live with a bold confidence because of the proven trust that we have in you. So, Lord, may we make your faithfulness and trustworthiness a companion, Lord. May we hang out and, and have some life experience with that and allow those experiences to renew and transform our minds and our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen, and Amen. Praise God. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Your love, please know that you're loved. Have a great uh, rest of your day and glorious, beautiful week. Hey, let me let me, real quick. Like, and I, I, I don't. I guess I was supposed to announce this, but Brother James Jordan. Some of you know this brother. His funeral is going to be on Tuesday uh, afternoon at Patterson's. I believe at two thirty. So, James Jordan funeral, two uh, thirty. Praise God. If you can't be there, be sure and be praying for Sister May. And uh, anyway, we love you. Good things coming.